So last week, our journey with Joseph left off in a relatively happy place. Granted, the people of Egypt and the world were suffering through a famine. I get that. Don't get me wrong. But Joseph was finally freed from prison. Joseph was prepared for the future that God had in store. At this point in the story, Joseph was the second in command over Egypt. He guided that country through years of plenty. And y'all, we can assume he fought back against the greedy voices who wanted to prosper quickly from the bounty that Egypt was enjoying. And he forced those greedy voices to store up their treasures for the years of famine and drought that he knew were going to ravage Egypt and the world. Joseph set up storehouses all over Egypt, and in the seven years of plenty, he ensured that they were filled to overflowing with food and supplies that the people would need so that they would not starve. In fact, they were going to thrive because of those storehouses. And because they were so full, people from all over the region and world would be able to come and buy food for their people. The whole world knew about the abundance in Egypt, which attracted the attention of Joseph's brothers. You remember those brothers that threw him in the pit and then sold him into slavery so long ago. At their father's insistence, ten brothers, remember there was a total of twelve, so they're leaving Benjamin behind because Jacob couldn't be separated from Benjamin, the youngest. So ten brothers headed for Egypt to buy food, not knowing that they would come face to face with the living reminder of their treachery. But when they encountered Joseph, who was the governor of all the land, they did not recognize him. But why would they? Why would they recognize that this man of such power and prestige was in fact their brother because they assumed that he was a slave, some forgotten face, somewhere in the world. But Joseph, Joseph knew them right away. He remembered how they had treated him. He remembered the walls of that pit as he waited, not knowing what was going to happen to him. He remembered their faces as they sold him into slavery But more importantly, he remembered those original dreams, those dreams that his brothers had tried to end, the dreams that foretold of the time when Joseph's stock of grain would rise higher than all of theirs. And y'all, those dreams have come to fruition. His brothers had come bowed and subservient But Joseph, Joseph wasn't ready to welcome them. Joseph wasn't ready to greet them with open arms. He was not ready to reveal his true identity to them. 
So instead, he decides to play his own version of the Hunger Games. They come to buy food, and he accuses them of being spies. They come seeking aid, and he forces them to return home and bring back their youngest brother, Benjamin. He keeps one brother in prison and sends now nine brothers home to get Benjamin. But he does fill their bag with food and supplies that they would need. So nine brothers return home to tell their father all that happened. They return home with plans to take Benjamin back to Egypt in order to rescue the tenth brother from prison. They had those plans, but Jacob, their father, their grief-stricken father who had already lost Joseph, could not let Benjamin out of his sight. Not until the supplies were all used and hunger returned. Not until the pangs of famine had begun to take their toll once more. This time, the brothers, including Benjamin, returned to Egypt, returned for their brother, not yet knowing that they were returning for more than just one brother. When they return, Joseph has them brought to his house. They are trembling in fear, not sure what is going to happen. And Joseph and his servants prepare them for a feast. And when Joseph sees Benjamin, his youngest brother, he literally has to rush out of the room to weep. He is overcome. He can't take the emotions that he's feeling. And then he comes back to the dinner party, and Joseph begins more games. He tells his servants to load their bags with grain and to actually put the money that they brought to purchase it back into their bags. And then he tells his servants to put his silver chalice into Benjamin's grain bag. And then as they are on their way back to Jacob, he accuses Benjamin of stealing it. And when the cup is discovered in Benjamin's possession, the brothers, they could have left him. It's their pattern. It's what they do. They literally threw Joseph into a pit. They left one of the brothers before. They could have abandoned Benjamin. But instead, Judah begs to take Benjamin's place. Judah, the very one who had the idea to throw Joseph into the pit, makes the request, not for himself, but for the sake of his father. His father who could never let Benjamin out of his sight. It is that offer, it is that plea that finally breaks Joseph's facade. That finally brings about the beginnings of forgiveness in Joseph's heart. So knowing all of that, 
A lot has happened from last week to this week. We pick up with chapter 45 of the book of Genesis. This is a long chapter, so I invite us to read together. There are parts for all of us. Let us listen for God's word speaking to us from chapter 45 of the book of Genesis. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve Preserve for you a remnant on earth earth, and and to to keep keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent sent me here, here, but God. The Lord has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. For now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. While Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them, and after that his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come, Pharaoh and his servants were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your animals, and go back to the land of Canaan, Take your father and your households and come to me so that I may give you the best of the land of Egypt and you may enjoy the fat of the land. You are further charged to say, Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. 
Give no thought to your possessions, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Jacob did so. Joseph gave them wagons according to the instructions of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. To each one of them he gave a set of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five sets of garments. <clears throat> to his father he sent the following, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers on their way, and as they were leaving, he said to them, knowing them, do not quarrel along the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, and they told him, Joseph is still alive. He is even ruler over all the land of Egypt. He was stunned. He could not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph that he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. He said, Enough! My son Joseph is still alive. I must go and see him before I die. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Imagine with me, if you will, that you wake up one day thinking that this day is going to be like every other day. That you're going to wake up, you're going to get dressed for work, and you're going to go see the same old faces and the same old people that you've seen each and every day for the past nine years. Of course, you know you have this new thing on your calendar. It's going to be a little different because there's some international clients coming to buy your goods, and they are coming from a long way away. So you put on a little nicer jacket, a little nicer tie or dress or whatever. You want to make sure you're going to impress these new clients. And then you just go about your day never expecting that your world is about to be turned upside down, never expecting to encounter the people who hurt you so badly, who marred you so deeply, people who changed the course of your life forever, are just going to come walking through the door. Now imagine that you are at the end of your rope. Your company has filed for bankruptcy. Or your job was cut. Your way of life has been totally disrupted. And so you put your ego aside and you go and humble yourself and look for help. And you hear of this place that has so much to give. And so you go to a social service office, and the person at the desk is a long-lost family member. Someone that you ostracized 
from the family. Someone that you threw away. Someone that you started a rumor about, disparaged them, so that the rest of your family would turn against them. And they are sitting there at the desk to greet you, controlling the purse strings of your future. That person has the power to grant the assistance that you need to ensure your family's survival. How would you feel in that moment on either side of that scenario? How would you react in the awkward situation of a lifetime? That was the choice that Joseph and his brothers were forced to confront. On a day just like any other day, Joseph was confronted by an unavoidable reminder of his painful past, a memory that immediately put him back into a pit in the ground and then on a slave train to Egypt. The story tells us of the arrival of Joseph's brothers, and it stirs in him memories, not of hate, but of dreams. We see, when Joseph sees his brothers, what comes flooding back to him are the dreams of grain and stars. And at the center of the Joseph story are those dreams. And just like the dreams that we heard about last week, the dreams given to Pharaoh, Joseph had two dreams, which had the same interpretation. Which, if we remember from last week, means that God has doubled down on that future. God doubled down on Joseph's future. God told Joseph through those dreams what was going to happen. Those dreams were God's way of continuing the covenant promises laid out to Joseph's ancestors. The dreams given to Joseph when he was young would take time to come to fruition. And the sinful and broken actions of humanity would try to thwart those dreams again and again and again. But what Joseph saw in that moment of encounter with his brothers provided him what I like to call holy hindsight. What he saw in the faces of his brothers was that God was in, at, the, at work in the midst of all of it. Those dreams carried through Joseph's life. And when he saw his brothers, he knew that God was at work through all of it. What Joseph saw when he encountered his brothers was that God was at work in the pit, that God was at work in that prison. God was at work in the house of the Pharaoh 
God was at work in all of it. Redeeming the broken actions of humanity to bring about God's intentions for Joseph. And through Joseph, God's intentions for the world. And as he stood there looking at his estranged family, what he knew for certain, what he knew in his heart, was that all things look different on the other side of grace. All things look different on the other side of grace. Where Joseph could have harbored hatred and worked for retribution, grace allowed him to offer reconciliation and work for peace. Like the characters in this Joseph narrative, we are all members of the walking wounded. All of us, in one way or another. We all carry hurts that seem too big. We all carry with us the knowledge that we have caused hurts too big to name. But thankfully, like the characters in this Joseph narrative, we too are the recipients of Joseph's dreams. God has doubled down on our future. God has doubled down on your future, on all y'all's future. God has doubled down on us. And God is using us to work out God's purposes in the world right here and right now in all of your broken glory. God is at work in us, redeeming all of our broken and sinful actions to bring about God's purposes in the world. God is at work in us, and sometimes in spite of us, working through our worries, working through our anxieties, our hesitations, our fears, God is working through our joys, our celebrations, our gifts, and our talents to bring about God's plans for creation. Friends, I have lived through three pastoral transitions in my ministry. Each time, they were members of the church who felt like the world was ending. Oh, how can we do this? How will the church survive without XYZ pastor's personality or preaching or leadership style? Each time there were members of the church who just felt like the church was done. Close the doors, throw away the key. We can't do this anymore. Each time there were people in the church who had no idea how things would go on. And my friends, the truth of the matter is, all of those thoughts are natural, typical, and to be expected. 
But my friends, Joseph reminds us, right here and right now, in these really long stories that I'm so glad you give me space to read, that things look different on the other side of grace. Things look different on the other side of grace. Grace enters into times of transition to call forth new leadership, to provide opportunities for new gifts and skills to come forward and meet the needs of this time and this place. Grace enters into times of transition to rekindle commitment among people who have been here and been there and done that, to find new ways of expressing God's compassion and God's concern to meet the present circumstances. And God enters into times of transition to make impossible dreams become realities. It's not easy. I can promise you that. We saw what happened to Joseph. But Joseph, in his literal and figurative pits of despair, remained faithful. Joseph relied on God's grace to carry him through. Joseph didn't shy away from his gifts. Joseph didn't shy away from his dreams. Instead, Joseph leaned in wherever he found himself. Joseph endured the hard times. He gathered people around him. He used the memory of the hard times and the good times to shape every position that he found himself in in the future. And through it all, he allowed God to use him to provide a way into the future for all God's people. In the days and the weeks and months to come, remember, remember that all things look different on the other side of grace. Remember that God is at work in y'all. God is is at work in y'all, creating a pathway forward for the future of ministry here at Rocky River. God is at work in you, calling forth your gifts and your skills to contribute to the building up of the kingdom of God right here in this place. God is at work in you, calling forth your gifts and your skills to express an expansive and inclusive understanding of God's love for the world that is so desperately needed today. God is at work in you to redeem the most terrible things you have experienced and even the most terrible things that you have done so that you might learn from those and better and be better equipped to offer compassion and understanding to work together for reconciliation and peace so that you can help spread joy in this world 
for all people. So that you, in your uniqueness, might reach out and create space for someone who needs to experience the grace of God in their life in this day, in this time. Friends, always remember that all things look different on the other side of grace. Because God is always with you. God is with you in the beginning and in the end, in the pit and on the mountaintop. God is always with you, working out redemption and reconciliation, working for love and working for peace so that you may experience and share joy this day and every day. Thanks be to God. Amen.